Hello, and welcome to Skynet Today's Last Week in AI podcast, where you can hear AI researchers chat about what's going on with AI. As usual, in this episode, we'll provide summaries and discussion of last week's most interesting AI news. You can also check out our Last Week in AI newsletter at lastweekin.ai for articles we did not cover in this episode. I'm one of your hosts, Dr. Sharon Joe, And I'm your other host, Andre Karenka. On this episode, we'll be diving into our usual mix of applications and business stories, research and advancements, and society and ethics. Some of these stories will be about Cruise's robot car outages happening in San Francisco, Google introducing a new model named Minerva for solving math questions, and some coverage over the fight over which uses of AI Europe should outlaw. And we'll finish up with a fun story about a cute desktop robot. So our first article in Applications and Business is Cruise's robot car outages are jamming up San Francisco. Uh, and this article is talking about how Internally Wired actually found out that nearly 60 cruise vehicles were disabled across SF over a 90-minute period, um, and they actually lost touch with the cruise server. Um, and something as many as 20 cars, uh, some of them were actually in crosswalks, um, created a jam in SF downtown area. And this incident uh, was first reported by the SF Examiner, and also there were some posts on Reddit. Uh, and, you know, this outage wasn't Cruise's first. Uh, Cruise also had uh, a problem on May 18th, about a month ago, uh, where this happened as well. They lost touch for about 20 minutes there. Uh, and what's really scary is that uh, actually these cars were just stuck and they were just stopped. Uh, and, you know, while they were able to you know, move over as part of, you know, some kind of fallback system, um, people did report actually some of them did not budge at all. And, uh, you know, there was this huge basically robot car blockade. Uh, and and this causes, you know, a lot of different problems, obviously delayed everyone, uh, but was was actually kind of scary, uh, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. This is crazy because uh, you can imagine if you have emergency vehicles, right, uh, you know, cruising at high speeds to try to get somewhere, this could very easily lead to a crash. And what's even crazier is this happened only a few weeks, maybe four weeks after Cruise got the permission to launch its commercial uh, service where anyone in the SEF can take uh, one of these cruise cars uh, that don't have a driver, so they're completely driverless, to basically have something like an Uber towards different parts of the city. So this is uh, like an hour and a half of complete outage. And there was, like the article discusses, there was a person inside one of these cars uh, and the car stopped and this person was just, you know, mystified. So um, definitely a big deal and a definite blow to cruise, I can imagine. And um, yeah, wow, what a weird incident. Yeah, and cruise actually couldn't even contact the person or the people inside of those cruise cars. So that's not great. And um, the article does know that losing connection with its vehicles and especially its backup safety systems might actually violate their permit to operate in California. Uh, that's still TBD, but uh, yeah, that this could <laughs> this could be the end of it as well. 
Yeah, and uh, also I believe in this article, um, and in, an employee at Cruise who remained anonymous uh, kind of commented that losing connection uh, is something that happens uh, not infrequently. Uh, so it, it, ha- it has happened before, and it it happens. So it's yeah, pretty shocking because uh, it's a very basic thing, and it's not like a huge fleet. It's, you know, a couple dozen cars. Uh, so for them to just completely stop because of losing connection to a server uh, and be unable to fall back on any kind of local code, something like that, that is just very hard to imagine. And, you know, obviously it makes it hard to um, believe that Cruz uh, is really building a, a robust product. And on to our second article, we have Japan's first free industry test robots to address labor shortage. Uh, so the story covers how the Forestry and Forest Products Research Institute uh, worked with uh, Southbank Corporation uh, to use robots produced by Boston Dynamics to help people with, um, you know, basically scouting and maintaining forests. Uh, So this is motivated by there pretty much being a lack of uh, labor for this area of work. It's very manual and the people who typically have done it are aging and there's fewer and fewer workers. So the hope here is that these kinds of robots will be able to help with uh, essentially monitoring and, and carrying some cargo Crowd forests, and they have this uh, demonstration that they ran, and uh, are now uh, continuing to run, I suppose, in, in two uh, other areas in Japan. And specifically, uh, they're going to be using Wi-Fi and satellite communication, so the robots um, can actually be linked, and they can actually uh, operate in the woods where there's no reception. And these, uh, for for reference, are the yellow dog-like robots. So they walk around the forest, as you've seen before, and um, can see stuff and carry stuff on their back, which is kind of cute. So this might just yet be a useful case for the Boston Dynamics robot. We'll see. <laughs> I know they describe yeah. with that. Yeah, I agree. It's it's we still haven't seen too many um, Boston Dynamics robots out there in the wild, and this is certainly out there in the wild. So uh, it will be interesting to see if this actually goes beyond the trial phase and and becomes part of how uh, the forestry industry in Japan operates. Very cool. And on to our lightning round. First article is FIFA will track players' bodies using AI to make offside calls at 2022 World Cup. And this is going to be a semi-automated system uh, with AI. And it's going to have a sensor in the ball that looks up position on the field 500 times a second and 12 tracking cameras mounted underneath the roof of the stadiums that use AI to track 29 points on the players' bodies. It's a lot of data. That's a lot of data to make these offside calls. <laughs> yeah. But people care about that, so <laughs> we'll see. Next article is Words Matter. AI can predict salaries based on the text of online job postings. 
And so this is using the words of a data set of more than a million online job postings. And they're able to use AI to explain 87% of the variation in salaries across a huge part of the labor market. Interesting result, although um, I guess you would hope that AI could predict general salary ranges for different career paths. Yeah, it doesn't uh, seem actually like a super hard task, but yeah. Maybe there's nuance to it, I don't know. And uh, for other lightning stories, we have photographer successfully uses Dali to AI to edit his photos. So we've talked about Dali 2 a bunch and one of its uh, features is not just generating images based on text, but also editing images based on text. And so here uh, he was able to fix an autofocus photograph by kind of filling in details that were missing. Which is great because I take a lot of out-of-focus photographs. <laughs> <laughs> and many of us do, I'm sure. That's it's going to be the next filters, fill in the missing uh, part here. And uh, last up, we have Google engineer identifies anonymous faces in World War II photos with AI facial recognition. Uh, so while visiting the Poland Museum in 2016, this engineer, Daniel Pat, realized that he could be walking by images of his own relatives without knowing it. So he designed this platform that could go from uh, images of people where you only see the number that were assigned uh, during World War II to actually get their identity. Uh, so an interesting sort of historical uh, restoration project or, or something of that sort uh, with AI. And on to our research and advancement section. First article is Google AI introduces Minerva, a natural language processing NLP model that solves mathematical questions. All right, so this is about the new Google paper uh, around Minerva, which is this language model that can use sequential reasoning, so any kind of language model that does sequential uh, reasoning to answer math problems. And, and specifically, this is important because state-of-the-art models have been struggling with quantitative reasoning, such as math, science, or engineering problems. And so to close this gap, Minerva is here, you know, pre-trained on general natural language data, so general English, general understanding of language, and then it's trained on uh, further fine-tuned on technical content. So not a very surprising set of techniques to get this model to work well, uh, on these undergraduate level problems in physics, biology, chemistry, economics, and other sciences, uh, but a very interesting uh, direction to, to be taking this. Yeah, exactly. They note that the main novelty of a paper is the large training set that juxtaposes natural language with uh, these equations and diagrams. So really, they just applied the GPT-3 type uh, approach, but with new data, where this data was taken from uh, scientific papers from archive. They got 118 gigabytes worth of scientific papers uh, in these mathematical uh, formats of LaTeX and others, which is a lot, 118 gigabytes of, you know, PDFs or even not PDFs, text files is, is more than I would have expected uh, could be used here. And um, these results are pretty impressive. Uh, this is a challenging benchmark, basically SAT type problems. 
And uh, this is a huge leap in performance from, I think, about a few percent to over 50%, if I remember correctly. Yeah, and just a, a note on the evaluation, um, since you know the, the leap was so big, they asked the model to reason through it step-by-step in a way and then give a final answer. And they're able to compare the final answer, but they actually cannot... They're not verifying whether the steps were correct, the reasoning that the model actually made. So that's one uh, little tidbit around the evaluation that's important here to, to know. Yeah, I, I would say I'm, I'm still a little pretty impressed with that. Um, it seems like if they're primarily uh, fine-tuned on these scientific paper uh, data set, then... You know, it's not like these papers have high school math questions, right? They just has general math notation. Uh, so if, if indeed it was just training on this uh, scientific uh, paper data, it's kind of interesting that it actually did transfer to solving uh, high school math type problems. And on to our next article we have... A year in the making, Big Science's AI language model is finally available. So this uh, article is covering the release of Bloom, which is a language model roughly the size of GPT-3, actually 160, actually 176 billion parameters, so just a bit bigger. And what's different about it from GPT-3 is that it was done by um, kind of grassroots organization, you could say, uh, called Big Science. So it's a collaboration between different organizations that isn't so much a company such as OpenAI, but is rather a more kind of open collaboration among a whole bunch of uh, researchers. I think it was um, a giant team of more than 1,000 researchers from 60 countries and more than 250 institutions. So all of them work together to create this very large uh, multilingual um, uh, large language model, which is a big deal because, uh, as we've seen, uh, mostly things like OpenAI and Google and other large industry players have been able to train these large language models. So this is a case where academia can actually start uh, and is starting to also participate on that scale. And big science is very much bootstrapped by Hugging Face, uh, who also has released uh, a free web app that lets you try Bloom without having to download it. So it's very in line with what uh, Hugging Face wants to make available to the world. Yeah, exactly. And uh, they also have some other statements here that researchers will have the ability to use Bloom for less than $40 per hour on a cloud provider, which is pretty cool. But they also are working on a less hardware intensive version of Bloom so that you could just run it locally. Um, yeah, so definitely kind of a welcome development with a lot of people in academia having been feeling a bit of stress over basically industry having control over some of the most impactful models uh, in recent years. 
And on to our lightning round. Meta open sources early stage AI translation tool that works across 200 languages. Uh, so Meta actually created a model that can translate across 200 different languages, uh, including many that aren't actually supported by the commercial tools out there. And Meta is actually open sourcing this project so that people can build on top of this work. The next article is Computer Scientists Interactive Program Aids Motion Planning for Environments with Obstacles. So robots can't see through walls and sometimes they need some help. So engineers at Rice University actually developed a method that allows humans to help robots, quote unquote, see their environments and carry out tasks. Yeah, so now you can help your robot actually achieve what you want as opposed to getting lost and getting stuck. And one more, we have Microsoft AI researchers open source Godel, a large scale pre-trained language model for dialogue. So yet another open sourced large language model. Wow, uh, quite a few of them today. Uh, so here we see that uh, Microsoft has released this grounded open dialogue language model, uh, pretty much similar to something like uh, Siri or Alexa, these are language models that are optimized to be a sort of chatbot assistant to answer questions or help with making appointments and things like that. So pretty uh, cool to see this being open sourced. All right, on to our society and ethics section. Given all this open source madness, uh, we can only imagine this section to grow in the future. So the first article is fake friends and the real threat of AI-generated influencers. All right, so there are some fake Instagram influencers that are you know generated by AI, uh, and the latest one is Kira, uh, and she only has twenty-three posts, uh, but she has one hundred thirteen thousand followers. That's K Y R A. Uh, and, and, you know, there are other ones, including Lil Michaela, who we've mentioned before, with 3 million followers, Shudu, Blocko, and Emma. And so these all, you know, have a little bit of you know, authenticity or try to be authentic in their posts. Um, but what's interesting here is that Kira's creator, Hamanshu Gull, who is the business head at Top Social India, he wrote that, Quote, since her first post, she has traveled to the mountains, beaches, and forests of Jaipur. She has done a fashion shoot, Valentine's Day interaction with fans, and even yoga. Kira's journey has just begun, and there are many more adventures and secrets to be revealed. Yeah, wow. Uh, I don't know. What do you think about the share? Do you think this is actually going to lead to a lot of uh, influencers or on Instagram, these kinds of AI characters? Well, I think it's starting to, right? And I think the article notes that this can be very dangerous uh, for kids who are already, or just generally young people, anyone who's already comparing themselves to to influencers that are real and now there's fake influencers and that's like another step beyond Photoshop, right? Yeah, exactly. And that's a good point uh, that this is already to some extent the truth that people are using filters. So you're getting one step away from reality with uh, kind of AI making you more perfect looking by some standards. People also have been caught photoshopping themselves, traveling to different destinations, 
So there's been that, and now you can just generate any sort of scene uh, with AI directly. And because you're using advanced technology, it looks photorealistic enough to, I guess, catch people's eyes. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's it's uh, an interesting time if these are actually going to be, you know, a big um, phenomena. Uh, I guess it's worth noting that there are actual people running these uh, accounts. So it's not so much, um, you know, uh, independent sort of AI is making all these posts and deciding on what to post. There are uh, people like Himanshu Goel who are basically using AI to create all these images and do all this posting. So it's more like, doing using photoshop to create uh, some sort of persona than kind of creating some sort of actual character driven by AI or anything what's interesting is that you can you don't have to look a certain look to be a popular influencer on instagram now like you could just create a new persona and make that persona very popular and i know a lot of people have kind of different identities online. And so this is, I guess, another form of that kind of identity. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's an interesting story. It has quite a bit of detail. Uh, this is from WebMD. So uh, we will link to it as usual in the description. And it does link quite a bit to other stories you've touched on, like using AI for um, photo shoots for models uh, to kind of not actually require real people. Now you can uh, do make your ads with AI. Uh, so I guess we're going to just see a lot of synthetic humans in a lot of places uh, in the coming years, maybe is the overall message. And on to a slightly heavier topic, possibly. We have... The fight over which uses of AI Europe should outlaw. So we've talked about this uh, a bit before, that currently uh, the EU is uh, working on passing the AI Act, which is a very, very ambitious law to legislate uh, a lot uh, of things related to protecting uh, the rights of EU citizens, uh, where it relates to AI. And this article goes over kind of some of the recent conversations happening uh, about the specifics of which application should be outlawed uh, as it's kind of gearing out into the lobbying and amendment phase. Uh, so it gives one example of this uh, system called iBorder Control, which analyzed facial movements to attempt to see if someone was lying. And that was very controversial. So that's one example where um, there are groups lobbying to ban these sorts of uh, lie detection systems based on AI. And a bit on the legal details. So the first draft that was uh, released in April 2021, the AI Act, this draft of the AI Act, it actually listed that a couple of things were banned. Social credit scores were banned and real-time use of facial recognition in public places uh, would also be banned. And now it's labeled emotion recognition and AI lie detectors for border or law enforcement as high risk. 
And so deployments would actually have to be listed in their public registry in order uh, to be allowed. Yes. So, yeah, very much an ongoing uh, important process. Um, uh, lawmakers will be filing these amendments uh, in the coming months, and then they'll be voting on them by late 2022. So there's going to be uh, seemingly thousands of potential amendment proposals about these sorts of questions of what should be allowed and what should be outlawed. And uh, yeah, so we should be able to probably uh, get this wrapped up by mid-2023 or maybe late 2023. So this AI Act is moving forward, um, which is interesting. Yeah, the rest of the world is watching what the EU does. And they said they actually already had have 3,300 amendment proposals to the AI Act already. So uh, lots of amendments, lots to review in terms of what's considered high or low risk and what's considered violation or not. And on to our lightning round, Waymo, UPS, others pressure Governor Newsom to allow autonomous trucking in California. So a host of different companies, Waymo, Aurora, UPS, and Luminar are among a group of 34 autonomous vehicle developers, uh, California business organizations, and automotive and logistics companies that actually signed an open letter sent to Governor Gavin Newsom on Monday asking him to revisit the ban on operating autonomous trucks in the state of California. And that ban was in 2015. Yeah, it's interesting that there is such a ban, I think, because uh, Thomas trucks are much more kind of uh, seem much more likely to become a thing before autonomous cars, as far as we know. Uh, definitely from a technological point of view, yes. <laughs> yeah. And even from an economic point of view. So we'll, we'll see where that goes. Next article is more and more CS students are interested in AI and there aren't enough lectures. So CS departments across different universities across the U.S. actually don't have enough lectures to teach the increasing uh, need and demand for AI by students. Uh, and this report is coming from CSET, the Center for Security and Emerging Technology. Quite easy to believe, given our experience from Stanford. Very actually. easy to believe. I believe everyone who can teach is also clamoring for uh other things or getting offered other things. So. Yeah, some of the main CS classes at Stanford have 800, 900 students, right. uh, teams of dozens of teaching assistants. It's kind of crazy. <laughs> it is. And on to the other stories here. We have US safety regulators open special in investigation into cruise AV crash. So interesting news about Cruise, aside from what we just covered at the beginning. Uh, so the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration has opened this special investigation into a crash in San Francisco involving a cruise vehicle that resulted in minor injuries. And this was, I believe, just a month ago. So uh, not so good news for Cruise between these various stories you've covered. Not so great. 
And last up, we have a story from the register about how people who regularly talk to AI chatbots often start to believe they're sentient, says the CEO of Replica. So Replica is an app that allows users to design their own uh, so-called virtual companions, basically AI chatbots. And many people actually use the service. Uh, I think it's in the thousands or hundreds of thousands, potentially. And yes, we've seen stories before. And here the CEO is again repeating that often people form pretty intense emotional connections to these chatbots. Uh, in this case, for Replica, but there's been other examples like Xiaowise and others. I think they've actually had millions of downloads, which is pretty impressive during the pandemic. Yes, exactly. Uh, and I think they do monetize quite a bit to be able to flirt and go inappropriate That's with right. replicas. So, right. uh, they do appeal, I think, to a pretty certain demographic of potentially lonely people, which, you know, I guess it's good to be less lonely. And on to our fun and neat section. First article is experiments and explorations, robots as musical instruments. And this is a YouTube video of an artist in residence, Katie Kwan, uh, who is, you know, joining the everyday robotics team for a little bit to do an experiment that makes these robots actually turn into musical instruments in a way. And she dances with them, actually. And this is mapping the joint velocities of the robot onto musical tracks. So the robot can make music while it moves. And, and yeah, the movements kind of map onto to their joints when they do move. Uh, and Katie is dancing along with them in the YouTube video. Yeah, I was kind of disappointed. It's like 50 seconds of video. Uh which isn't much, but there was also a blog post which had a lot more context and I found pretty interesting. The artist uh, is actually also a roboticist. So she uh, has danced with eight different robots from around the world and is now pursuing her PhD in mechanical engineering at Stanford and has been this artist in residence at Everyday Robotics. And Everyday Robotics is um, subsidiary of Alphabet working on um, getting robots to perform everyday chores, uh, you know, in Google offices and, and things like that. Um, so, yeah, it's interesting to see this uh, very technical person also uh, using robots in this way. Wish they did some intense dancing, twerking. Just kidding. Yeah, I mean, the, the, if you remember the Boston Dynamics uh, dancing video, yeah, this is a little more on the artsy, kind of slow, pretty yeah. side. Yeah, so would have been nice to see a bit more on that front, but cool to see this artist in residence. And on to our last story, another fun one. We have cute desktop robot designed to keep armchair engineers engaged. Uh, so this is a little article about a Kickstarter project, uh, which is by Taiwan's Nuwa Robotics. And this Kickstarter is about a cute little robot companion called the Robot Creator DX. 
which is a sort of build-it-yourself kit with which you can build, uh, I would say, quite kit, uh, quite cute uh, um, desktop robot. And it also comes with some programming tools and other things to kind of bring it to life, similar to something like uh, Lego Mindstorm or other kits with robotics. So you can customize its expression and its look. So there's like a little, you know, piggy one, a little cat one. Um, so yeah, it's pretty cute. Would you would you want such a companion, Andre? You know, I honestly, I would be into it. Uh, it is cute and there's a simple click and drag uh, kind of uh, programming interface. So you can, you know, create some fun custom interactions with it. It does cost 600 bucks uh, in the Kickstarter, so maybe a little bit outside my budget for some like this, but certainly I do think I, I could have some fun with it. And a child, if they could get such an expensive gift, could have a lot of fun with this too. Yeah, and that number will only go down, so um, we'll see. And that's already pretty cheap for the robot, right? <laughs> It is. 600 is not too bad. And uh, this one doesn't have too much going on. So it uh, has, you know, a little screen and can tilt its head some and, and maybe move around a bit. Uh, but still, it, it can do, um, you know, it has a screen on which can display different faces, do speech recognition, move its little hands, stuff like that. So uh, kind of bringing back a bit of the social robotics stuff we saw uh, from prior years. Cool. And with that, thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of Skynet Today's Last Week in AI podcast. You can find the articles we discussed here today and subscribe to our weekly newsletter with similar ones at lastweekin.ai. As usual, we do ask you to please share with your friends uh, who are interested in AI if you like the podcast. And you would also appreciate a review if you are a big fan. I noticed recently we got a couple more five stars on Apple. That's cool. Yeah, we appreciate if you don't write anything and just give us a score. Uh, You're now at 23. So that's, uh, you know, feels nice to see that number go up. I'm not going to (laughs) lie. More reviews again. so sad. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know how you can take back a review. Uh, That would definitely be sad. Uh, um, so yeah we'd appreciate it and um, do that or not but please do keep tuning in